Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders from throughout the sports event industry. This is Matt Traub, Managing Editor of Sports Travel, and today we have a special two-part episode ahead of the Winter World University Games in Lake Placid, New York, with Mike Pratt, President and CEO of the Olympic Regional Development Authority, and Jim McKenna, President and CEO of the Lake Placid CBB. But before we begin, first a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Teens Conference and Expo, the world's largest gathering of sports event organizers and the destinations and suppliers that serve the sports event industry. Teens 23 will be held in the Palm Beaches, Florida, from October 2nd through the 5th, 2023. The conference will again feature the co-location of the U.S. and Olympic Paralympic SportsLink program and NGB Best Practices Seminar, as well as the annual Symposium of the National Congress of State Games. For more details on everything planned at Teams, please visit teamsconference.com. And now, on to the conversation. The Winter World University Games is the largest multi-sport winter event in the world after the Winter Olympics. This year's event starts January 12th and is an 11-day festival and competition combining high-level sport with educational and cultural events, all taking place in Lake Placid and nearby towns in the Adirondack region. With more than 2,500 participants from over 50 countries, the Winter World University Games will reignite the celebrated history of the 1932 and 1980 Olympic venues, many of which have been recently modernized. The first part of our podcast today is with Mike Pratt of the Olympic Regional Development Authority as we discuss the venue's improvements, logistics for the upcoming event, and what about the renovated venues impresses him the most when looking toward the future. Mike Pratt, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast. Thank you, Matt. Looking forward to talking to you. The Winter World University Games is the largest winter multi-sport collegiate event in the world, and in some ways it's like having a version of the Olympic Winter Games in town. How does having these games in the area in January bring back memories from the 1980 Olympics? You know, or to host many world-class competitions, we do it all year round. We just got done with the World Cup bobsled. The neat thing and the unique thing about this event is that it's multi-sport uh, with everything happening simultaneously. So the whirlwind of activity and the international uh, pomp and circumstance is what really makes this special. There's a number of athletes and coaches and more that will be around twice the size of what Lake Placid hosted in the 1980 Games. What is the level of logistical planning needing for having an event set up throughout the village and surrounding area, given that, with all due respect to Lake Placid, it's not exactly a metropolitan area by any stretch? Yeah, well, well and that's all solely due to the growth of sport. In 1980, there was not women's hockey and a lot of the gender equality as uh, added participants, but there also wasn't uh, the sports of curling or short track speed skating or the skiing and snowboarding freestyle events. So in order to successfully host this event and looking at the limitations that we had with uh, uh, some realism uh, towards the logistic challenges, we very early on in the process identified the need to host this as a regional event. Villages of Potsdam and Canton are going to host all the preliminary hockey for both men and women. And while that's happening, Lake Placid will host the uh, uh, short track speed skating and the figure skating, and then we'll welcome the hockey teams back to Lake Placid for the medal rounds. And in North Creek at Gore, we're going to host the freestyle competitions for skiing and snowboarding. 
and and in Saranac Lake, the curling. From the time that you were announced as the host five years ago, one of the things top of the list in preparation is the renovation and modernizing of the venues throughout the Adirondack region. How would you evaluate how the venues were five years ago compared to today? And how hard has the renovation process been? Well, certainly 1980 Olympic venues were, they were developed for a two-week event. And the devotion and ingenuity of the staff have maintained them for 42 years. But now philosophically, we, as we had an opportunity to modernize these events, we committed to having year-round facilities with event training uh, hosting capabilities year-round for both summer and winter uh, competitions and training, as well as for the recreational enthusiasts and the tourists. So, so our venues are vibrant year-round. When we took this on, we knew that challenges of uh, modernizing these facilities, you know, would would be intense. But then to have a global pandemic hit us and all the uh, impacts from that of supply chain issues, uh, the amplified labor shortages, everything all at once, it, it made the the construction and the processes even more challenging. And, and we had to really focus on the critical pass, on supply chain issues. Uh, we had to get creative and order things ahead of time. And c- certainly one of the things that we did is, you know, focused on what the stakeholder needs were. And, you know, it's really turned out uh, great. We've had uh, USA bobsled, USA biathlon, USA Nordic, to a certain extent, uh, declare us as their home of high performance in the United States. Um, we've been hosting uh, more and more uh, competitions. And, and then the unique ones now for us with the summer ones are fantastic. We just held the national championships for USA Nordic uh, in, in October. And, and we had a keys to the castle. Uh, um, event with uh, you know top Nordic competitors in the country and pretty much in North America competing in the in the summer too. So uh, that's been unique and very exciting. You're you're hitting on something I was going to follow up with you on, and that is winter venues by its nature tend to be season specific, and there's also the rapid concern about climate change within the industry of winter sports. So how during the renovation process of the venues throughout Lake Placid. How important was it worked into the planning and execution of those renovations that their venues could be that you could use your venues year round? Yeah, yeah, that was one of the philosophical um, commitments that we made right off the bat was to make sure they were vibrant year round. And you know, with the elite teams, you know, their World Cup competition is in the winter months, so so we didn't have an opportunity historically to welcome these teams for uh, more than a couple weeks a year. And now with having the year-round facilities, you know, the impacts and seeing the teams move to Lake Placid with their coaches, with their administrators, with their trainers and technicians has been fantastic. For those who have been to the area but have not been to Lake Placid in a while, at least, to see the new venue, the renovated venues, what would be the thing that takes the that catches their eye when it comes to what the renovate or what the new what the venues look like now and how you think they can these renovated venues can what they can bring to the area in the yeah. future? Well, well, the people wouldn't even recognize them, or, or else they'd just think they turned out so well that they must have always been like that. 
But now Van Hovenberg historically was uh, operated as three different venues for for the sliding sports, for the uh, biathlon, and for the Nordic sports. And now it's operated as one sport. We have six Olympic sports that train there. Uh, we have one lodge. We have one location for drug testing. We have one awards plaza. So, so it's a lot of multi-use occupancy. And, and it's created a lot of synergies uh, from the different disciplines of sport and the competitors and the executives. So it's really turned out well. Um, the ski jumps, we never had uh, summer training on the big hill and, and we have it now. Uh, we were the only facility in North America that has its certifications for winter and summer training and competitions. And, and it's very exciting to see uh, Olympic Center itself with. Uh, one of the facilities, again, that goes back 100 years with the 1932 rank, the first arena with a uh, covered roof for the Olympics. That's turned out just spectacular. I'm really proud of that. I think it's stunning, the exterior masonry and the little details to the cultural uh, statues, the uh, simple uh, LED lights to give us a chance to put on a national colors or, or recognize uh uh, cause with, with with our lighting systems has been nice. And we hung a set of the original 1980 rings on the side of the building and put the LED lights and the ring colors behind it. So that's been great. But in the connector building, the Miracle Plaza between the 1932 rink and the 1980 rink, we have a, a brand new restaurant, Romers, named after the former semi-pro hockey team of the New York Rangers that was in Lake Placid. Uh, the expanded Lake Placid Olympic Museum, which is one of the 34 uh, networked Olympic museums uh, in the world. New displays with some interactive features it has really turned out great. And the uh, Miracle Moments retail store is right there too. So, so it's a destination again. It's been a long time since uh, it's been as welcoming as it is. Lake Placid is forever linked with the Miracle on Ice and you it's the 1980 rink. It's really just, you know, kind of a point of pilgrimage for hockey fans throughout the United States and in some ways the world as well. When you're looking at the 1980 rink, how do you make sure to balance trying to make sure that it's as modern as a venue as possible, but also maintaining the mystique that 1980 brings? There is a lot of, uh, decisions made through the planning process. And we've for forego the opportunity to install a lot of bells and whistles and neon. And what we think we did was really appropriate and it's turned out classy. One of the changes with the 1980 rink is our new boards and glass system allows us to change radiuses. So, so we can go from NHL size ice to international size ice. And the, uh, We've already hosted the ECAC championships last March, the NCAA Division Three national championships last March, and the women's Division One icebreaker competition uh, this October. And they all played on NHL size ice, so so that was a a little tweak from the heritage, but it made it appropriate. And but to go back to international size whenever we want it is a pretty easy process for the crews. You know, behind the scenes, the refrigeration system, uh, you know, the old 1978 system uh, really didn't owe us anything. It wasn't efficient and uh, it was becoming harder and harder to maintain and find parts for. 
And by code with three indoor ice rinks and in, in the outdoor oval, we had to install a commercial refrigeration system. Uh, through our value engineering, we chose to install an industrial system. So we, it required us to purchase an extra piece of it, uh, refrigeration equipment, but we operated at 180 less horsepower. So very efficient. And, and we can dial in the ice temperatures and change the ice temperature by a degree or two just by uh, adjusting our phone settings. It's allowed us to last March at a long track speed skating event have fast ice and and the competitors it was a collegiate world championship uh they actually two of eric hayden's track records were broken and the same indoors with a short track we set some national records in april last year when we held the national championships short track and and then for the hockey uh competitions you know the teams that have wanted the faster ice surface we've been able to give it to them and uh it, you know it's a, a all about the field of play. Uh, it's appropriate. I think the the building that connects the two with the with the Romer's restaurant and cafe that that's been the biggest change where people have been able to take advantage of of the facility, extend their stay, make it a destination before or after the uh, competitions or the events, and it, it's been very rewarding to see. You mentioned, and we've been talking about the 1980 rink. You mentioned Eric Hyden as well. Obviously, the legacy of the 1980 Olympics lives on to this day in the Lake Placid area. What do you think the legacy effects of hosting the Winter World University Games could bring to the region? Well, it, actually, the these uh, FISU World University Games have not been in North America since 1972. And uh, the last host in 1972 was Lake Placid. Again, a two-time Olympic village, a two-time uh, FISU World University Games village. I, I think it's just a, an, another great aspect of our heritage, but with the facilities um, developing them to be year-round, uh, to be vibrant again, uh, we are in demand. We've got a very robust event schedule. We're hosting the NCA Division One Alpine and Nordic Championships in March. We're, we're hosting uh, the first World Cup in North America for ski jumping in 21 years in February, and the first one in Lake Placid in 31 years. And in last uh, week of March, we're hosting the World Championships in synchronized figure skating this year. So we have the World Championships of bobsled skeleton in February of 2025 coming up, and uh, just just. Uh, a very robust event calendar for our traditional uh, uh, one sport events, but this multi-sport event, I think, you know, ju is just going to add to the legacy of the two-time uh, Olympic Village with being a two-time uh, uh, FISU World University Games host. Well, Mike, I'm sure that everything is going to be going along swimmingly, but I also know you have lots of work in the in the days to go before the opening ceremony. So, thank you very much. Well, that's great. Yeah, thanks, Matt. It's uh. Uh, it, it's exciting to brag about the great things we've done. Uh, you know, certainly it, we've been challenged and have had to work very hard and very smartly. And um, but it's been very rewarding, and, and we're very excited to uh, welcome the world with this uh, FISU game shortly. Welcome back to the Sports Travel Podcast. In the second part of this episode, we talk with Jim McKenna, the longtime president and chief executive officer of the Lake Placid CBB. 
we discuss not only the new and renovated venues and the logistics for the Winter World University Games, but the legacy of Lake Placid's Olympic history and how it still has an impact on sports tourism in the Adirondacks region, and what McKenna hopes will be this event's legacy, both in the field of competition and beyond when it comes to sustainability in sports. Jim McKenna, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast. Well, thank you. The, this is the largest winter multi-sport collegiate event in the world. In some ways, it's like having the Olympic Winter Games back in town. How does having the Winter World University Games in the area bring back memories from the 1980 Olympics? Well, certainly there's uh, brings back a lot of memories. You know, number one, uh, you know, the venues in preparation and getting them up to standards. That certainly has happened. The, the feeling, you know, people are getting excited. It's not like the Olympic Games, obviously, but still, you know, a multi-sport event. It brings a lot of people into the region that want to get engaged, become volunteers, a certain amount of media attention. So and there are a lot of similarities there. And, you know, it's going to be a good event. This will be the second time that Lake Placid has hosted this event. Having done so previously in 1972, you're going to be a two-time host for the Winter World University Games in addition to your status as a two-time Winter Olympic Games host. What does bringing this event in 2023 to Lake Placid do for regional tourism? Clearly, you know, it's not so much the two weeks of the game, the reasons you do something like this, just like the Olympic Games. It's a, it's going to have a long-term positive effect, you know, for the for the uh, awareness of this region, certainly in winter sports, but also in the Adirondacks in general. Uh, whenever there's an opportunity to get that many international uh, athletes and dignitaries uh, to a community, just like Salt Lake knows, it sort of ripples for many years to come. So we, we think this is sort of not only... Uh, refocusing some uh, attention on the region, but it's also allowed us really to update the venues in a way that they're also been converted into more tourism use, meaning that as a lot of the venues around the world for Olympic cities, they're predominantly built for athletes training or competition. The renovation process here not only brought the facilities up to the international standards, but it added some direct tourism components to it. So we think there's going to be a long-term positive economic impact uh, for our region because of these games. The number of athletes, coaches, visitors will be around even twice the size of the 1980 Olympics. What is the level of planning needed then to make sure that fans from whether within the U.S. or even internationally can find lodging, can get around smoothly? With all due respect to Lake Placid, a city, uh, a village that I've visited many times, it is not exactly the, a metropolis by any means. No, it certainly isn't. And that's actually the charm of the, of the community. But certainly the spectator appeal for this event isn't anything near the Olympic Games. So we're really building a lot of the uh, facilities here are booked really for different client groups that are somewhat associated with the Games. And clearly uh, the spectators that are coming – you know, we still have plenty of space, you know, when, with the short-term remo phenomenon, also with the hotels. So we, we'll be able to accommodate the demand that will be here for this. And we've got it spread throughout the region, but we're using some areas, oh, about an hour and a half away to our to our west and about an hour away to our south. So it's sort of spread out throughout the entire region. You mentioned the venues, and from the time that you were first announced as the host, one of the things top of the list in your preparation was renovating and updating the venues. How do you evaluate the venues as they were five years ago compared to today, and what results, whether already before these games even start or in the future after the games, do you believe the renovated venues can bring to the area? 
Well, clearly, you know, when you have venues that were built in 1978 and 79, certainly there's been some updates over the years, but clearly the renovation of the uh, ice arenas and the speed skating oval were totally re rebuilt. Well, the renovations of the ice skating arenas were, you know, a little more cosmetic, but also much more usable. Uh, speed skating oval totally rebuilt. Uh, so there's some there's some legacies out of these games at all the venues that are they're really going to provide for us an opportunity to reach out to more of the, you know, more world cups and potentially more world championships. Certainly our sliding track has been continuing to do that. That was upgraded for the uh, only one edition of the Goodwill games winter edition, but the other venues are now in a position that we think there's going to be just a continual amount of international appeal and national appeal on these venues for competition and training. Is there one thing during the renovation process and seeing how the venues are now that may have even surprised you in the level of interest you might be getting from national and international teams, whether it be training or for competitions? I think it's at the Mount Van Hovenberg complex where we have not only we have the two sliding sports, well, actually three sliding sports, skeleton, uh, bobsleigh and luge. And also tied in with uh, with Nordic and Biathlon that we have all at one facility right now. And a brand new lodge has been created that's multi-use for all those sports, including an indoor push track for bobsleigh. So that's probably the biggest, uh, I think, accomplishment of one single venue. Uh, certainly the ski jumps were have now been rehomologated so that they're in an international uh, competition. I think we're the only one in North America right now that has that status. And uh, refrigerated ramps and, and everything, that's pretty amazing as well what happened there. Winter venues by its nature tend to be sports season specific. And there's also the rapid concern about climate change within the industry of winter sports itself. So you mentioned it earlier, but during the renovation process of the venues throughout Lake Placid, how important was it to make sure that those venues can be modified in different ways so that they can be used year round? Well, certainly not all of them you use rear round, but a lot of them can be, you know, looking at the biathlon track or range rather, there's, you know, that's done in a year round basis. Certainly the Olympic ski jumps, uh, certainly the, uh, you know, the indoor skating rinks have been, are certainly year round. Outdoor speed skating oval, we use that for many different events annually. So that, that's something that we, that we have built into the process. You know, you mentioned climate change and there's a big focus of the university games. There's a world forum called Save Winter. And we've got some high-level national and international speakers coming in to really start dealing with that. And not, well, not that they were not all dealing with it, but raising the level of consciousness. Certainly, you're aware from the Salt Lake process, the, the IOC has put a little bit of brakes on. Let's figure this out where we're going. You know, I think both Salt Lake and Placid are situated well over the next 50 to 75 years with climate change, from what the scientists say, but we never really know. But I think the, the climate uh, issue that we're facing right now, we have to face that head on and look at our sports facilities, make sure we're preparing them in a sustainable way, and also taking advantage, and maybe Mike went over this with you a little bit, on really really being, you know, leading leading the winter sports industry right now and how we make these, these venues uh, – you know, as carbon-free as possible right now with the goal of making them total carbon-free as we move forward. You're a two-time Olympic host. You're going to be a two-time Winter World University Games host. How much of a point of pride is that for your region and the people who work and live in it? 
Well, it's a lot of pride because, you know, and I'm certainly you feel that in Salt Lake and Park City as well, I believe. But it's something that, you know, people that have grown up here, it's been their whole life. It's been a part of their life. Sometimes something like that you take for granted. But, you know, when when we're members of what what's called the World Union of Olympic Cities and we're on the executive committee there. And when you're sitting uh, around a table with some of the biggest cities in the world and your 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 city has as much notoriety in this field and only 8000 residents, it's got a long term positive effect on the region and, and even our youth that get engaged in sports. So it's something that is feel we feel that the 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 winter sports, international winter sports is part of the destiny of this region. Obviously, the legacy of the 1980s, uh, 1980 Olympics lives on in the Lake Placid areas. But obviously, I'm sure you have plenty of people, I've been one of them in the past, that traverse to the area to see the 1980 ice rink. What do you think the legacy effects of hosting the Winter World University Games can bring for you? Certainly, I think it's, you know, the, the competitive level is not quite at the at the Olympic level, although we, we see a lot of uh, opportunities here that are going to probably have some memorable things. The thing that probably sticks out most in my mind is that we've converted from a car. We have a carbon free cauldron and, and torch and we're sort of set, setting our stake in the ground about this is how it should happen in the future. So I think that's one legacy that will come out of here. You know, I also think that we're looking at. Um, the second miracle, you never know. And what I say by that is historically, uh, the United States hockey team has been made up of, uh, you know, club level hockey players. We've gotten a lot of interest and we have a good mixture, both of the men's and women's teams that are women's, especially D1 and D3 players. But we have sort of an all-star D3 men's hockey team coming in. And even though we don't have Russia in there, we've got Kazakhstan and he's got the Czech. We got some real, some real, you know, the European teams, they'll come over top notch. And I think having real university students here playing, uh, it's going to have that same kind of momentum as we get to the finals. How much of an appeal do you think that is for this event, that this, these are collegians? These are kids who, in some cases, this is going to be the highlight of their lifetime, collegiately and, and in terms of their athletic careers. Well, what's great about this event, I think, overall, and I'm not saying anything negative at all about the athletes that compete in the Olympic Games, but these are real, you know, university athletes from around the world that certainly it's they're 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 very efficient and they're very professional what they do. But they have it based more on the university spirit rather than a commercial spirit. And I'm not saying that in any way to that's how the world is. But this is sort of in a way when we looked at this, we looked at this as sort of true sport, true competition and not all cluttered with advertising and sponsorships. But it's sort of real sport. And we think that that's going to be something that we think can grow around our country. We see this as a as sort of a stepping stone in a way that uh, this particular event will get much more recognition in the United States, we feel, after these games are over. And that was part of our goal originally, was to allow this type of an event to come in and get some more recognition throughout uh, our country. Well, hopefully that will be the case. And Jim, thank you very much for joining us today on the Sports Travel Podcast. Okay, great. Take care. Hope to see you up here. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features breaking news and features on stories related to the sports event industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at Sports Travel on Twitter and Instagram, 
and at Sports Travel Magazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Matt Trout for Sports Travel, and thanks for listening.